Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Corporate Bartender, episode 50-something. What are we, 52? <laughs> 52. 52 times we've gotten together to hang out. And uh, today's going to be a good day. We've got, uh, we've got a guest today. We've got Laura Chapin, and she's going to talk about uh, leadership development in these crazy, crazy times. Um, we've got our news. We've got framing question. We've got Q&A. We've got funny stuff. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> It's going to be a good day. We've got oh, Mark put his abs jersey on. Nice work. <laughs> Excellent work. That's awesome. So, Mark, as, as one of our newbies today, why don't you say hello to everybody? Tell them who you are, where you are, what you do, and one fun fact about you. Okay. Uh, Mark Russell, uh, here in the Denver area. So, yes, we are all trying to survive through the, uh, the smoke and the haze. Um, I've known Morag since 2008 when she did a leadership training uh, for our organization at eCollege and obviously a, a big ally and evangelist and uh, drink the Kool-Aid on Cultivate and all things there. So I'm glad to be joined. Just Excellent. Started, started my second career as a uh, leadership development consultant. I am a recent uh, Gallup certified strengths coach and try and take my practicality of the business experience for 38 plus years and help new managers and directors just kind of have a, a nice sounding board. So I try and do more listening than talking. And on that note, uh, my other fun fact is I used to work part-time for a American Hockey League team in Rochester, New York, known as the Americans. Ooh. And I'm old enough to where I remember that when there was only six teams in the National Hockey League. So uh, glad wow. to be playing and uh, wow. the uh, bartending tonight. <laughs> I appreciate the AHL drop. That's that's the thing I haven't <laughs> thought about in quite a while. Right on. Well, thanks, Mark. Welcome. We're glad Thank to have you. you. We got another newbie here today in Molly. Say hello, Molly. <laughs> tell it tell us who you are where you are what you do and one fun fact about yourself oh gosh well my name is molly demelka and i'm located in bozeman montana um i met awesome town many, yeah no kidding i met eric many years ago through my corporate career um we utilized the sky team services uh fortunately for us to help us land some excellent talent and help us with some hr projects <laughs> my leadership has taken me on to an entrepreneurship journey. I've opened my own consulting business, helping small businesses and entrepreneurs with social media strategy and marketing um, concepts, ideation, kind of serving as a chief marketing officer for small companies. And I'm working on an entrepreneurship course to help female entrepreneurs get out of their own way and start their own businesses. Oh, and fantastic. fun fact about me, um, I guess I've been... I'm a diehard Packer fan, having never lived in the state of Wisconsin. I was born and raised in Montana. Um, Go Packers. I know, right? <laughs> Fortunately for this year, hopefully we'll see what it looks like. And then I'm the, I have the pleasure of being a mom to two little, two little girls, one who's starting kindergarten this year in the unknown and the other one who's only one. Right on. 
Well, <clears throat> Molly, I'm at the other end of that journey. I've got a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, and uh, I just moved the 19-year-old into her first apartment this weekend, so oh. things oh to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Successfully got one out. There you go. I'll be there in like 13 years. <laughs> yeah. That's why we drink, Molly. That's why we drink. <laughs> that <laughs> <is the truth. laughs> awesome. Well, thank you and welcome. It's great to see you again. Um, got Mike Namath on the line. Hey, Mike, how you been, buddy? It's been a long time. I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I literally just got off the uh, the bike, so I'm. You guys are gonna have to look at my profile pic instead. <laughs> I'm a mess. Um, yeah. No, I, I've uh, been on a couple of these, but it's been spread over uh, many months. So happy yeah, to yeah. join in. Yeah. Welcome back. It's good. It's good to good to hear you again. Yeah. Um. Hey, Molly. You mentioned your entrepreneurship course. Is that live? Is that something that we can we can share a link with to our network of folks for you? It's not yet, but I would love it when it is. Yeah, please I'm currently do. working it, on it, running it through a beta team of, of female entrepreneurs here in Bozeman. And then we'll hopefully have it live here in the next month or so. Yeah, when it's ready to rock, let us know. We'll put it out on our, uh, on our network and uh, up on our website. We've got, we've got a bunch of resources. We've got uh, the TCB website at skyteam.cloudstroke.tcb. We've got the uh, Bartender Network, which is the-corporate-bartender.mn.co. And it's a cool little um, walled garden kind of social uh, networking site, but it's just us. There's about, I think there's, I think we're up to like 70 people in the Bartender Network now. So if you're new and you're interested in, in any of those things, um, by all means, just hit me up. I'll shoot you the links and you can find them in any video on our YouTube channel. Um, I did put up the video from the Eric Isle interview today. So that was super fun to go back and watch. So that's up on the Sky Team YouTube. If you guys want to check that out, that was a super fun interview. All right, let's get straight to the news. So, um, Yvonne, one of this this first news item is right out of out of your organization. Uh, their top left, COVID nineteen <laughs> vaccines could become mandatory. This is a National Geographic article, um, and there was another one that I saw in USA Today, uh, an opinion piece about um, forcing workers to take the COVID nineteen vaccine, which is a thing that I hadn't even thought about. Um, you know, and we talk about HR challenges in COVID times um, just about every week. Um, HR folks, what are your thoughts on on forcing workers or making vaccines mandatory for employees or to the National Geographic article, uh, getting a seat at a restaurant? Well, well since you mentioned my uh, company there, um, honestly, I, while, Hey, we have a hard enough time getting people to take flu shots. So I'm, I, I think, you know, that's a hard pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, um, but if they do become available, because we do have a medical unit that is um, a part of our organization, because we have a lot of travelers, um, we will be one of the first to offer it to people free of charge if they want to mm -hmm. um, participate in that. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't thought about your high number of, of international travelers. 
Um, would would you guys consider making that uh, something mandatory for travelers or would it just be voluntary, do you think? Um, everything that we do, unless it's um, required uh, as a point of entry into a specific country that they're going to, we do not require. Um, mm. But we do provide a lot of uh, uh, great information about the pros and cons of either having it or not having it. And if you choose mm. to have it, we don't. And we give you the option if you want to travel, and that's for any vaccines. Um, and or we let you know here are your risk. Good luck. Right. So. <laughs> Good luck. Oh <laughs> uh, well, and and sort of near your neck of the woods, Yvonne. I saw this article here um, that Virginia is the first state to have coronavirus workplace safety standards as a statute. Um, and I read through that. I'll put links to all these articles um, in the notes when I post the video from today, um, just so you guys can all get in there. But I thought that was interesting um, and, and a, probably a trend that we'll see uh, perpetuating across different states as things continue to cook. Um, there was a really cool article in Forbes about uh, returning to work um, and an article that I stumbled on about things in Germany that have changed as a result of COVID. And that kind of led me into today's question and, and the topic that we're going to talk with Laura about. And today's question is, what are the COVID era shifts that you have made in your organizations that you believe will just now be permanent? Just going to stick around. I think some of it's the extra sanitization that's happening throughout the office, more regularly cleaning, enforcing some of those high traffic areas to be able mm. to uh, be more controlled than what they have been in the past. Yeah, it was funny. I, I had a an Amazon return to do yesterday, and I because you could take those to Kohl's now, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and you know, I went in there, and of course, they had the the shield and the distancing and everything. Um, and it was interesting to watch what they did. <clears throat> you know, the guy in front of me handed his, his return back and basically the girl behind the counter held, held out a bag and he dropped it in the bag and she was wearing gloves and she tied the bag up and printed the label off and slapped it on top of the box in the bag. So she never actually touched the box. Um, and he didn't touch anything. He just dropped it in the thing. And then before I could approach the desk, she, you know, squirted it down and wiped it off and did that whole thing. And, I, you know, I thought, well, people just started washing their hands about six months ago. So if we incorporate <laughs> half of this stuff into regular life, flu season may not be as bad as it used to be. That's a great point, Mariah. What else, what else have you guys done that you think will just sort of become part of the new normal? Not going in the office sick. Right? Stay home. Yes. You sick bastard. I mean, now, <laughs> I mean, you have people with allergies now that sneeze and they're like, I swear I'm fine. You know? <laughs> so I think it's going to change. <laughs> so funny story yesterday, as I'm getting my son to school, we get right on to the grass where they're meeting everybody and the teachers and he sneezes. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you can't sneeze. <laughs> They're going to send like, you home. Get him out of here. 14 days. <laughs> You're out of here. It's scary. It's just, you can't sneeze. You can't cough. We're, <laughs> in Colorado, we're bombarded with the smoke from the fires of California yeah. and Colorado. 
And mm-hmm. so allergies are through the roof or bad breathing and you can't cough, breathe or, or sneeze. Forget about it. <laughs> so I do think uh, temperature checks either before going into work. I think also before going into an establishment, you're probably going to see some type of infrared something is to someone have a fever. I think we're going to start seeing that more and more at airports, international. I, I think that's just going to be a way of life. Um, I was in a call two weeks ago where a company and they shall really name nameless. Um, the head of HR had his infrared, you know, thermometer and he was walking around just doing random. And I'm like, Oh, dude, that is. <laughs> I'm like, that's just not good. Um, but hey, to each his own. And, and that was the food industry. And that's kind of, you know, maybe I should be thankful. So um, we'll see. I've, I've seen three things uh, my youngest is a preschool director. My oldest is a third grade teacher. My wife's at a middle school. So all the precautions that they are taking, but the one thing they've all chatted about is now the parental responsibility and they need flexibility at work for when their kids are sick. And normally they would send them to school. Mm-hmm. Then they would get sick, sit in the nurse's office. You'd have to call them. So that's one shift. Second mm-hmm. one is in my previous life, I was in a, I'll say a, a physical asset tracking organization. And seeing technology yesterday where now people are either able to wear a watch or a key fob on their person. And now there are applications that will say if I'm encroaching within six or eight feet and setting off little alarms and buzzers, that way you can say, okay, let me step back. So I think there's a lot of things that people (laughs) are going to start looking at for those organizations that have to be in a building, a facility, a warehouse to try and keep people safe. Yeah, that that makes me think of the conspiracy theory of Bill Gates and the COVID vaccine that's going to microchip you and track you. Uh, So people don't want to take it. Um, Yet we all carry these around all day long in our pockets. (laughs) Google is very clear about where we are and what we're doing. And to to Mark's point, right, our employer may be as well, right, just in our work environment for sure. And I I may have missed, by the way, my sincere apologies if you've already had this conversation, but if you've already shared in this group anything about what are you thinking about for daycare where those that are single parents or um, otherwise, you know, their their work hours are disrupted, any any, um, creative things that you're doing around daycare solutions, I'd love to hear more. And it doesn't have to be now. If you want to reach out and send me something, I'd love to, to hear more. Yeah, uh, just quickly, we are researching, um, uh, I'm not sure if they have it in your area, but it's called care.com. Um, yeah, yeah and, and looking at offering um, either signing up as a, for a corporate membership or allowing people to sign up for those services and reimburse them up to a certain amount of money if they need to get uh, child care in the house or... Um, or if they need to like uh, elder care, child care, um, or tutoring or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. That's something we're definitely um, seriously researching right now. What about your EAPs? Are they providing anything? Because under normal circumstances, most of them provide elderly care, child care uh, assistance as well. No, they are. And we're referring everyone pretty much on a daily basis to the EAP for um, assistance finding those but it doesn't help with the financial burden of it. 
And so what mm. we're do is offer a reimbursement for, for services rendered, so to speak, um, and or memberships to these uh, specific organizations um, to get more personalized care as well. So just another option. Appreciate that. We're in really small markets. So we, we also have EAP, we're, we're driving people there. We've looked at Care at Work, which offers um, kind of emergency backup child care but uh, they're not, they're in large markets. So if you are in right. a really, really small market, you don't have a whole lot of options. And if you are at high risk in terms of, you know, where you can as a parent. So, but anyway, I don't want to derail the conversation. I was just, uh, if people have ideas, I'd love to, to hear them, even if it's offline. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's a great point. We, we, we've been talking about just how to deal with the school situation and the perpetually changing nature of that for the last few weeks. Um, you know, Tina, if you're, if you're not uh, part of the bartender network, that's a great place to post stuff um, for the community to chime in on. Um, we've had a couple of other conversations that have, that have gotten some pretty, pretty good information changing back and forth. So if you're not over there, come on over and hang out. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> Anything else in this COVID shifts that are going to stay? I'd love to hear what you guys think about handshakes. Oh my God! Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, are those are those coming back? Are we ever going to do that again? You know what? Somebody shook my hand the other day, and I was like, "What do I? I, I didn't know what to do." I was like, "What do I do?" So I went in and washed my hands immediately after. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when you see people in the store with no masks. Um, I was I was out in public the other day and I ran into a person that I knew and I haven't seen him in a long time and he came in just right out of the gate and I, reflexively I just did it and then I was like ah oh, what what did I do what have I done Yeah I mean is this elbow bump thing going to be the thing that we do I mean what are we going to do I don't that's that's a that's a legit question lady It's what you do in the tattoo parlors Right. <laughs> Might as well make it the next thing. <laughs> All right. I like Tina just gave you a salute. <laughs> <laughs> that could work. Going all mile high salute on everybody. <laughs> I did see a whole article about it and I was reading there was like a foot tap, there was a fist bump. <laughs> there was actually one where you just put your hand over your heart. <laughs> there were all these ones I was like, I've never seen that before. So we'll see what, what uh, takes off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. I, I, I saw, uh, to your point, Jenny, I saw a similar article, but the one that stood out to me was the ankle bump. I was yeah. like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. That just sounds I'm, awkward. <laughs> that's, that's two uh, minutes for tripping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to step into some time with Laura here and we're going to talk about leadership development and and how that's changed and what's going on out there in the world today. So Laura, she works she's a principal learning partner at Harvard Business Publishing. She's been doing this for a long time. She's been an OD. She's been an LD. She's been a change manager. She's been an HR. She's been a coach. You can see here, 
She's done a lot of stuff. She has every, I think she has every certification that you can have. <laughs> oh, there's and, a few I want to rack up this year, you know, while we're sitting at home. <laughs> and she is fortunate enough to be married to her best friend. And I think yeah, she collects right. dogs. You collect I do. dogs, right? I do. <laughs> yep. We adopt them, love on them. And yep. And we, we have a heart for the old ones. <laughs> So do you, do you foster dogs or do you just adopt them all in? Uh, I tried fostering, but it upset me too much. It was too hard. I, I have so much respect for people who can do that, but I can't let them go. So then I would end up keeping them. So <laughs> now we just adopt <laughs> and we're down to three right now, which is the least we've had in a very long time. So um, wow. yeah, it feels like a light load. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. They're, and we've switched from big dogs to littles. And so, yeah, the, the yard is easier to clean up and it's fun just to, you know, you, you hook them under your arm and take them camping or whatever. <laughs> they're, they're so much fun. I love them, but I didn't let them come in my office today because they're too distracting <laughs> do you have any dogs that are small enough to put in a tiny bag yes that's actually it's funny that you say that here's a random fact i was um quoted in people magazine my, my, my claim to fame the only magazine i've ever been in in my whole life was i was actually going to see a little um it was this little einstein it's a miniature horse that was like the smallest in the world in new hampshire and i the lady quoted me that i lord chapin from colorado springs colorado said he's so cute you can put him in my purse he's the same <laughs> size as my dog <laughs> i was like oh great <laughs> My one quote. Reminds me of <laughs> that Parks and Rec character, the, the tiny horse. He's a pony. No, he's a miniature horse. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Laura, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Why would we even care to hear you speak today? Give us an overview of your career, your journey, um, and include any weird career stops along your path and I know you've I know you've got a weird one <laughs> I do have a weird one um gosh okay so yeah I was currently at Harvard Business like um, Eric mentioned been there about two years 20 years you know all over the place before that mostly um internal but also probably about five, I guess five years in consulting and the rest was in internal roles you know in organizations some of the ones here around Denver because I know a lot of people on the phone here are from Denver or in Denver um were like Lockheed Martin, uh, Raytheon, and Northrop, so clearly a lot of defense contractors. And then some of you might know Slalom Consulting um, mm -hmm. uh, here locally. I worked there, and so that was really a great opportunity to be in a lot of different industries and companies around the you know, Denver metro. Um, I've lived in 10 states, um, all over the country, um, and worked in all sorts of different industries. Um, I would share that my uh, undergrad, which I think uh, <laughs> Eric was alluding to, um, I've had to explain this in so many job interviews. How exactly did that happen? Um, my undergrad's in criminal justice, and I was a probation and parole officer and a pre-sentence investigator, and did that for about five years and realized I cannot do that for the rest of my life. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve too much, so it was really hard to leave work at work. Um, and I always said the felons weren't really the problem as much as the system. Um, and so I decided I was going to have to find a way to make a difference and do good things in the world that was not my full-time job. Um, and so I, um, like we often recommend to people, right, in our field, um, I went to a career counselor, this is in the 90s, and so I did, how many people have seen, how many of you back in the day did what color is your parachute? <laughs> 
<laughs> did you do you remember that book? It would help you with your career stuff, and uh, and it oh, opened yeah. up. Yeah, so I did that. I went to a career counselor. I did a bunch of um, inf- informational interviews, and this whole world of like L and D and OD and training and HR for the first time surfaced. Um, so I changed my master's over to a dual major in um, human resource development and OD, um, and then in management because I didn't know anything about business. Um, and I still remember to this day like driving home in my little Ford Explorer with the windows down in happy tears because I was like, oh my gosh, this is my tribe. These are my people. This is the work I was meant to do. Um, and then, so I've never looked back since. Um, so yeah, so what that takes me to um, Harvard now. Um, and it was just interesting to me is when a recruiter called, I kind of thought it was a joke because I was like, like, who are you and why are you calling me? What do you mean corporate learning? Because um, it's not usually what you think of. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, most of us know of the school and the business school. Um, and again, I know this is cheesy, but it's, you know, it's the best way to see people. So like show of hands, how many people uh, read Harvard Business Review? Right. So most people know HBR. So that's one part of our business under Harvard Business Publishing. So that's, you know, one arm. The other arm is if you've ever done a case study or a simulation mm-hmm. in business school or a university or even in a corporate setting, chances are it came from another part of our business, which is higher ed, where we do case studies and uh, simulations and all that kind of good stuff to equip um, professors and leaders um, in that space. And then I the third purchased arm, many of those. Yes. <laughs> and some of them are really tough. Um, and then I'm in the third arm, which is corporate learning. And so our, what we do is we have two different online platforms. Um, if, if anybody's heard of Harvard Management Mentor or Harvard mm-hmm. Management Mentor Spark, Spark is our newest online platform. That's really cool. It's, it sits on Degreed and it's um, just, it's more of an LXP experience. Um, and then we also do blended learning and virtual learning. And so my role as a principal learning partner is basically to lead a portfolio of accounts um, all the way from uh, the initial architecture, then the design, and then the actual execution and delivery um, overseeing a team who makes that all brings it to life and does the real work of, you know, um, executing on that and implementing it for our clients. So that's my role. Um, I would say for today's uh, conversation, it doesn't have to be Vegas rules, but I would say a disclaimer is I'm not officially representing HBP today. It's more of a, you know, casual chat. Obviously my, my insights right now, that's kind of the world I'm living in. Um, but just, you know, that's always kind of give that disclaimer if we're not doing like an official HBP, you know, event. <laughs> You should, you so, should say it, you should say it really fast and really low like this. Like really like those commercials. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> really tiny print. <laughs> so, um, awesome. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned one thing there in your open, I just want to make sure everybody caught it and knows what it means. You said more of an LXP experience. Can you, can you talk about that for a sec? Yeah. Really that means? Yeah. Long story short is, um, you know, we think of like so many of us grew up in, um, you know, show my age, the days of the LMS, you know, when we remember when those very, 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 very first started coming on the scene and LMS mm-hmm. was the big thing. Right. And you know, like commonly right now it's right cornerstone and workday and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now the LXP experience is more of learner centered, um, T- tends to be really dynamic. Um, and a lot of times we, I see that in our clients, the LMS is more um, compliance driven a lot of times and, and it's certainly got its great place. A um, lot of robust reporting and can talk to a lot of systems, whereas the learner um, LXP, learner, learner experience, often tends to be still reportable, but a little less, more learner driven. Um, and sometimes the reporting is you know, a little bit different or may connect to systems, the back end systems a little bit differently. That's the long and short of it, how I would describe it. What would you say, Eric? <laughs> you probably have a better description. <laughs> no, I, I think that's great, right? I mean, it, it's for me, it's the the shift in focus yeah, from being, on the being a, yeah, from being a just a repository of yeah. stuff 
to being learner centric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For and sure. often really curated and different ways of navigating that you wouldn't have found in the LMS. It's, it, I think mm -hmm. there, there's a place for both, but I'm a little partial to the, L, the LXP experience myself, my own learning style. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a place for both and a lot of our clients have both. Yeah. So, from this perspective in your current role, right, you get to see inside a lot of different organizations. What, tell us what you're seeing shift from a leadership development perspective. What are the things that are changing in this mm -hmm. crazy time? Well, I had a feeling, knew you were going to ask that. Um, so I actually jotted down a few thoughts just because I thought this was interesting that um, we just did our annual partners meeting this summer where we bring together all of our um, largest accounts and kind of as a thank you and also combined learning where we bring everybody together so they can network, we can tell client stories, they can hear from thought leaders and faculty. Um, and then we also did a lot of um, interviews across executives, HR, L&D, people like yourselves, right? And, and, um, business, and the business side uh, leaders, really trying to understand what is going on in your business. Help us understand how are things shifting and changing. Um, and so those through the interviews and just through our day-to-day -day work, um, I was I had jotted down a few thoughts on kind of what we were hearing and no surprise, right, is it's both a combination of what is change, what people need to learn is changing, or the emphasis and also how they're needing to learn is shifting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, I think you guys are probably all facing that exact experience in your own workplaces. And so what I think, what I actually jotted down, I'd love to hear if these resonate for you guys, um, is some of the top ones. So I was going to start with kind of leading the business under that bucket. The, the three top things we're hearing right now is all around building digital fluency and enabling mm. digital transformation, right? Because the, the, uh, COVID has shifted everything. Like people had their digital plans and their, you know, their transformation that might have been scheduled to happen over the next one or two years has all been accelerated. And so moving more digital in service of their clients and their employees at a lot faster clip. So that's one. I wonder how that um, resonates for folks. Does, are you seeing that? A little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <clears throat> we have a client who, um, you know, on their, <laughs> their vision document for 2025 was to have an established remote workforce. <laughs> yeah. Done. Right. I mean, <laughs> that box is, that box is ticked. Um, and it was just interesting because we, we actually facilitated uh, a strategic planning session for them. And it was just interesting listening to the IT leader talk about all the things that you know he had been planning for and thinking about mm -hmm. that he had to execute in a matter of days versus a matter of years mm -hmm. and and just that sort of shift on the dime mentality to mm -hmm. I, I i love your your term digital fluency and digital transformation yeah it looks like mark just mark just chimed in with a question how do you define digital fluency yeah, so I'm not the premier expert, but I can I know enough to be dangerous. Um, really, around what our the way our clients are talking about this is being able to speak the language um, and making sure that people leaders in particular understand that digital transformation is everybody's job and it's primarily mm -hmm. the leader's job, right? And it doesn't it's not like like you said, Eric, right? As a lot of times we think of it as being a, the IT person is you know the the ch chief technology officer is going to lead this and it's a it's a technology initiative and it's really 
not. It's a business initiative that all right. leaders have to get behind, right? And have all the way down to your front line, people understanding, well, what does it mean to be digital? How can we serve our clients differently, um, you know, in a digital space and in terms of how we de either deliver a product or service, um, you know, moving from manual kind of work. Um, I'm thinking of one client right now who it's a merger of two financial organizations and they also have to have cost reductions as part of that merger. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying, well, on top of COVID, now we also have to ha have all this, you know, cost savings um, that is a result of the merger. So we need to get digital faster. And then COVID's just adding to that. So it's mainly helping leaders understand what is that mindset, skill set, and shift that they need to do for themselves and for their people. Um, to, to work in a digital world versus kind of the way things used to be done, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the what and the how, right? Yeah. Uh, that people need to learn. And, mm -hmm. and in that what bucket, you know, mm -hmm. we talked about this notion of becoming fluent here and mm -hmm. being able to navigate digitally. What are the things you're seeing pop to the top of the list on the, on the how? Oh man, exactly what probably everybody on this call is seeing is a lot move to virtual. I know you guys are facing the same thing, Eric, and we've talked mm -hmm. about, you know, even our kind of personal philosophy and approaches around, gosh, when is virtual appropriate? When is e-learning appropriate? When is in-person appropriate? And in this day and age, we don't have the option for face-to-face. -face. And so how do you have the most robust experience um, through a virtual, you know, type of environment? So the, the how is all about how do you make that meaningful, engaging, fun, interesting, um, and getting your, your audience right, your class size right, and using the technology that's available to make it really, you know, um, engaging. Everything yeah. from, you know, polls and um, Mentimeter and chats and offline types of experiences with small groups to be able to, you know, really develop those closer relationships. Um, you know, that's, that's, I would say that's the primary thing. And it's just been interesting to see that there's, there are certain clients or even industries who've been really resistant to that over the years. Yeah. And just like everything else, all of a sudden, I think it's surprised even them, um, one, that they can do it, that they're getting the support. And then when they do that, the feedback is actually really pretty phenomenal, you know, yeah. that, that you have, you can't just simply take a face-to-face -face and go, oh, I'm going to deliver it in the exact same way, but virtual, right? You have to make changes to your delivery. Um, and yeah. I think that's the biggest mistake. And so people like yourself, you know, Eric over at Sky Team or us, I think the hopefully I think what we're bringing to the table that is surprising clients is, oh, wait, yeah, this can actually be really robust and engaging and fun um, and not, you know, sitting in front of a laptop staring at a screen. Yeah, for sure. We, we have tried so many things in the last six months and, you know, we've sort of settled into a couple of grooves uh, with technology solutions, with different approaches to small group work mm -hmm. <clears throat> that, uh, that have, have really worked really well. Things that have translated from the classroom in a way that I, A, didn't expect, um, and B, um, going back to the framing question, some of this stuff we're just gonna keep, right? We're, gonna, mm -hmm. we're just gonna keep doing it. Um, you know, we've been leveraging technologies like Mentimeter you mentioned. Um, we've been using a lot of mural boards. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. are using mural boards. They're like super Google Jam boards. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and we can create some really compelling experiences for digital um, and leave it in a place where people can go back to it, mm -hmm. which is really mm -hmm. kind of cool. 
Um, yeah, because I think the cool part you're calling out there, Eric, that's the other thing we're seeing is really big is the social learning component, yes. you know, that people can still do. And so we're accomplishing that through things like you just mentioned. And I'm sure you guys are doing the same thing where, you know, using Zoom and WebEx, but um, even like integrating into Microsoft Teams or, mm -hmm. you know, wh whatever kind of communication tools that they're already using, using those also for as part of your learning community. Um, yeah. I think that's been really big. We, we've noticed this shift, and tell me if, if you're seeing this as well, um, <clears throat> with clients having a bigger appetite for more programmatic type of stuff, less one-off jump in and deliver a, a class, but more programmatic offerings. So like we, our bread and butter right now is doing manager essentials programs and leadership academies. So these are multi-month programs um, that used to start with a, you know, like a two or three day workshop. And now we, we do what we call launch week. So it's, it's, it's an online offering, a webcast every day that week for mm -hmm. a predetermined period of time. Um, but to your comment on social learning, um, after that event, there are follow on events but there's an expectation that there are small groups, we call them peer learning circles, mm -hmm. um, that have tasks to go do mm -hmm. um, and things to report back on in, in those follow-up sessions. You know, that used to be probably, I don't know, 15, 20% of what we did. And I'm going to say that post-COVID is, it's probably 50% mm -hmm. of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, in several different contexts. Um, are you seeing more programmatic buys or more, more long-term engagements in this or yeah. is, is that not on the radar? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in, in terms of even what we kind of tend to say yes to is more programmatic. Like we have six design principles that we kind of live and breathe by. And certainly, um, you know, there's always a way to massage that depending on the client's needs. But one of them is learning over time. Um, we know that event-driven learning just doesn't stick. And it's, you know, not, it's not gonna have the stickiness. It's not gonna, you know, create the behavior change and, and, and shifts that we really need. Right. So we tend to do programmatic things anyway. Um, like you said, where it's real, truly learning learning over time and, you know, combination of learn, practice and reflect. Um, and so, yeah, so I just think we're seeing that embraced just as much or even more. Um, and in some cases, even right now, I've noticed some clients are asking for programs to be even longer than they used to be, mm. like a, maybe a little bit lighter touch each week but a little bit longer so that people are still engaged in the learning, but it also gives them that breathing they room they need right now in a COVID world where they're probably, yeah. you know, many are juggling full-time work and childcare and school and, you know, who knows what else, elder care. Um, and so finding ways to also be sensitive because it always goes back to, you know, we try to do use design thinking, right? Of really putting ourselves mm -hmm. in the shoes of the learner. And as we do that, we realize it, ha it needs to be robust and challenging, but it's also got to be something they can manage and even have yeah. the mind space, <laughs> you know, right, right now to, to take on. And, and I think a, a really good example of that, which I was really surprised um, of all people, um, I think it was Mount Sinai, who in the and out in the East Coast, absolutely in the throes of COVID response, including physician leaders, they could have put their program off and said, whoa, hold the phone, we can't do this right now. Um, too much, right, for this particular um, you know audience. And instead, it was really fascinating and really moving, actually, to hear the executive tell the story. He joined one of our calls and, and talked us through what this looked like. Uh, and the difference it had made for them and why they chose to, to go full steam ahead. And it was pretty fascinating because they could have made the choice and said, 
now's not the time. We have to wait. Right. And instead, yeah. right, they looked at it and said, if ever there was a time for strong leadership and being able to work through ambiguity and, and chaos, now's the time. So we need to give them the tools to do that. So we just had yeah. to make sure that the, you know, the methods met them where they were in order to make that mm -hmm. successful. And it's, and it's been great. It's, it's one of those, you know, like heartwarming stories where you hear about it and kind of go, oh, wow, that's, I mean, these are like actual heroes on the front line, right? <laughs> you know, helping them. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. So when you think back over your career, your time in consulting, your time building and delivering leadership programs, or just seeing them created, what, what are the lessons that have served you the best over the years? Lessons learned. I think, you know, it sounds a little bit cliche almost, but um, I think two things come to mind for me is um, just this idea of, of, we all talk about it now as growth mindset. We didn't used to talk about it that way, right? But thanks to Carol Dweck, she gave us a great right. framework <laughs> and a way to think about it. Um, but it's just ongoing learning and this idea of a growth mindset, I think is huge. Um, so, because it, whether it's as a coach and I'm trying to help someone through their own growth, right? Or as a consultant or as a leader myself, I know that that's, that's just the number one thing um, that always comes to mind. And, and, that really hit me. I know even um, a couple weeks ago, Professor, uh, if anybody's seen Professor Francesco Gino, she's fantastic. She's got a, a really good book on uh, rebel talent. Um, she was doing a talk and she just raised a really good example and um, about like, think of like Sully, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. pilot that saved yeah. all the people on the Hudson River. Um, and she was, had used a conversation with him as one of her examples of like, here's a perfect example. Somebody had been flying for like 30 years, right? And he, he could totally have just you know, thought, yeah, I've got this and, you know, I've got my gray hair and my suit and I'm getting close to retirement and I don't have anything else to learn. And instead, you know, he, he basically talks about how he has a, he had a growth mindset. He, he, he had to do something he had never done before. And it literally resulted in lives being, you know, saved. Um, but he had to learn on the fly and learn in the moment. And mm -hmm. so to me, that was really humbling and, and just a really good reminder. Um, I think the other thing that comes to mind about that. I guess the only other thing, especially for those of us on the phone, is knowing that we have to model that because that's our job. Mm -hmm. So much of what we do is HR and development and talent. Um, and if we don't model that, how can we expect people in the organization to buy in, right, to this need for a growth mindset and innovation and creativity and failure and risk and, and continuing to try to do things, something, you know, something new. Um, and this, the only other one that came to mind for me was, is just that the, what you're doing right now is this power of inquiry, right? And questions. Um, I I'm a question, I'm a question asker. Um, and then when I got my coaching certification about 12 years ago, that changed everything for me. And I said, if I never coach another day in my life, that will change how I lead and have conversations with friends, with clients, you know, whoever it is with learners, because that's to me where the magic happens is to ask really good, powerful questions and help people find their own answers. Um, the certification I did was through CTI and they talk about, you know, that your client is creative, resourceful and whole. And your job is to help them, you know, uncover their potential and, and, and the right answers and not to give it. And I think that that's the most powerful learning. So yeah, those are the, those are the top two that come to mind for me. I love it. And you're speaking Ruby's language right now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Hi, Ruby. <laughs> I'm going through that circle. Oh, there you are. <gasps> as well, right now, as I'm just getting close to taking um, the last class and then the six months. But 
Yeah. Is it like the, are, like you're doing the balance process fulfillment? Is it still in that order or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, we should talk sometime. Yeah, Look, I get goose- talk to you. Sorry. Is, I'm such a dork. I have the goosebumps because that <laughs> <laughs> literally that program changed my life. It's why I live in Colorado. Um, at the time I was going, I was living in uh, Northern Virginia about to get married and we were both, you know, in our mid thirties trying to figure out like, what do we want to do? What's important? You know, how do we want to create this life together? And and I got a lot of values clarification from, yeah. you know, from that program. And I made major life changes as a result. So yeah. thanks, CTI. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the cohort of people that I went through were still close today because you get so real and raw with each other, I think is the other thing, right? Is that that power of authenticity and real relationship would be another lesson that honestly came from that experience too. Yeah, and I just love you mentioned the power of questions and inquiry. It is so powerful, and I just, um, in general, didn't really think that way or when I spoke with people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's actually a hard thing to do all the time. Yeah. Instead of yeah. bossing people around. <laughs> exactly. My husband will tell you I still boss him around. <laughs> I, still, <laughs> I still boss you gotta him. You got to have an I should ask him more questions. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Laura, if we could do one thing to improve our own quality of life, right? During these crazy, perpetually uncertain times. Um, what would that be? How, how should we show up differently? Oh, if I had a perfect answer for that, I'd probably just bottle it and never have to work again. Um, <laughs> Cause it's a hard answer. But um, I think again, kind of going back to um, it's kind of some collective wisdom at that partners conference that I was mentioning a moment ago, what came up over and over again from all several hundred people who were there, um, participants, um, you know, staff and faculty, it didn't matter who over and over and over again, the main theme was wellness, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just taking care of ourselves as people and as leaders. And it's that whole proverbial oxygen mask, right? You've got to put that on yourself before you can help others as a leader. Um, and so whatever it takes to, to, to be well, to do that for ourselves. Cause it's, I think so many of us were used to being givers um, and also maybe either type A and, you know, kind of action tripping and wanting to press forward. Um, and we have to take care of ourselves and that sense of resiliency, um, you know, is going to come from that. So I think, um, you know, we just, we, and I, I think the main thing for me, and I know even some of our articles recently is trying to pay attention to recognizing that just because one way of wellness works for your husband or your spouse or your peer or your sister works for them, that's great, but it doesn't mean it's the one for you. You've got to find the thing mm-hmm. that fills you up and not feel goofy if that's what it is for you, <laughs> right? Because I think there's like spiritual, mental, physical, all of that. Um, and so it might surprise you. It actually kind of fills you up and helps you to kind of recharge. For me lately, I was chilling with Eric earlier <laughs> that it's been remodeling our house during COVID. Um, you know, if we're going to be stuck here, I might as well do the work that I've been wanting to do for years anyway. And even though it's kind of stressful, I've been surprised at how much peace that brings. And then also I have a tangible outcome to see, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look, look, the house looks better. <laughs> that wall is painted or, you know, the kitchen cabinets are done. Um, so I've been surprised about where I find those little sources of, of wellness and being able to recharge. So mm-hmm. I know it's not, you know, it's a cliche answer, but I just think it's so true. Mm-hmm. No, and it's important. And it's important to, to, to underscore that, right? We talk about it a lot. You know, we talk about... Um, getting ourselves permission, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of Ruby talks about this all the time, the patterns that we live in now we've built over years and years and mm-hmm. years. Right. And we've had to change them 
in 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 really short order. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like you know taking the time to fill your bucket to go do the thing that that you know replenishes replenishes you gives you mm-hmm. your energy back. Um, I have no problem doing that at six thirty p.m. <laughs> but at ten thirty a.m. I I still feel guilty. And and what's what's really interesting about that is I don't give myself credits back for working at eleven o'clock last night. But giving ourselves permission, and and you said this earlier, Laura. You know, talking about modeling the behavior. It's one thing to say it, and it's a whole different thing mm-hmm. to do it. Um, because people in our in our tribes, in our cohorts, in our organizations, they follow the examples that mm-hmm. we set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So, so doing those things, we had a, a, a person on a workshop earlier this week, and she was talking about uh, because of her situation with, uh, she has a, a, a small child. So in the afternoons, she's out, right? She's just out. So she puts an out, and off, out of office message in, um, and then she'll, she'll work in the evening to catch back up, but she schedules all those emails to go at 8 a.m. the next morning versus firing them off because I don't know about you, but if my boss emails me at 1030 at night and I'm awake and have this sitting in my lap, um, I'm probably going to feel at least partially obligated to respond. Right. Um, So finding those times to, to give ourselves that permission to do those things is hard and it, and it has to be modeled by, by the folks Mm -hmm. that, that sit above us in the organization. Yeah. And I think it goes back to when you were asked about like, you know, what's changing even in organizations, you know, what we're hearing from our clients, um, you know, those things like, you know, innovation and navigating complexity and of course, diversity, inclusion and belonging, all of those things are top as well. But one of those that is also coming out of our clients that I'm encouraged to hear and see though, is that ask is how do we do wellness better? How do we lead self better so that we can lead others better? And the fact that clients are now clamoring for that, where it used to be, mm, it's a nice to have, um, right. and maybe you didn't see it as a core competency, core skill, core strength. Now they're putting that at the very, you know, that's one of the top things in the top five, you know, that, that clients are asking for. So I think, you know, if we're going to find the silver linings of all this craziness, <laughs> um, is some of that reprioritization. And I think helping people live into some of their corporate and, and personal values. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Laura. Crew, what questions do you have for Miss Laura today? This is where you have to wait longer than you think, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you do have questions, um, Laura is a member of the Bartender Network. Um, I am. I love this tribe. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for everything you do, Eric, because you set such a great tone of fun and camaraderie and part problem solving. And when we need to com- commiserate, it's it's a safe place to do that, too. So we talk about psychological safety. You've been really awesome at that. So thank you. And thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your insights. Um, and if, if there are any things that you can share with us over on the network, 
because you know you have access to some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, there are you, new art- tens of thousands of resources. <laughs> yeah, let yeah. me know. I did so post by the way COVID. There's a COVID microsite and a diversity and inclusion microsite. Um, so if y'all haven't already seen that, I can repost them. But those are things that are not behind the paywall. We're just trying to meet, you know, kind of live into our mission of helping leaders. Um, so I can repost those and you know some other stuff. But um, but yeah, so I just want to make sure and call those out. Awesome. Cool. I, I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Hi, sorry, and for whatever reason, my screen video froze, but um, Laura, thank you for joining. And the, the question I have is obviously as senior leaders are looking at some of these shifts and transitions, what is this being pushed by their employees, their staffs, their managers and directors? What are you hearing from, I'll say, the, the, the core people that are going through these programs? It's a really good question. And I'm, I think the, what I'm finding is, at least what I'm hearing from my current clients, is that it really varies. And I know that that is, sounds kind of like a lame answer, like, ah, I'm noncommittal. But I think it just really varies because of the co- corporate culture. You know, some of those that are more hierarchical in nature, it is very top-down driven. Some of those that are more collegial and team-based and less hierarchical, they have, they're using really creative ways to listen to their employees and find out what they need. Um, you know, everything from, you know, YouTube channels and videos to, you know, listening um, tours that are virtual, um, Slack channels where they're hearing from people. Um, I know one organization, for example, they're using a diversity inclusion um, vendor where people are also able to give feedback and input that's completely anonymous and people are really trust trusting of that. So I think it's just I'm seeing it in different areas. But as you might guess, you know, Mark, a lot of it is top down, right? Where leaders are, you know, more senior people are driving it because they're the ones who also hold the budget <laughs> who can uh, come to us and say, hey, I've got a need and, you know, how can you help? So it's a great Thank question. You. Yeah. Awesome. Any other questions for Laura? Because if not, we're going to get onto the funny stuff and get you guys out of here. I'll tell you my favorite cocktail, since I know you always do the cocktail at the end. Whoever wants to meet for a margarita once it's safe to, uh, you know, get together, <laughs> let's do it. I'm down. Let is, let's do that for sure. <laughs> thanks. Right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for coming. Um, so before I even do the funny stuff, uh, Levy sent me one on the side, and it basically just said, I'm asking you to wear a mask, not a Nickelback t-shirt. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Today's funny thing, number one, stock up on homeschooling supplies here above the wine. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Luke, help me take this mask off, but you'll die. I have rights. (laughs) I'm done with y'all anti-maskers with the the Jermax and the squirt gun. (laughs) And my favorite one from today. Oh, no. Not my favorite one. <laughs> the second to the last, the penultimate. Think 2020's been hard on you? Look what it's done to Eminem. <laughs> and my favorite one of today. Man walks into a bar, orders a Corona and two hurricanes. Bartender says that'll be 2020. <laughs> and today's semi-quarantine cocktail is the CDC guidelines. It's a riff on the gin gin mule. So you need a handful of mint leaves. And doctors are like, I'm sorry, what? Some lime juice, 
testing, schmesting, little simple syrup, go lick some doorknobs, some gin, quarantine or not, it's up to you. And then top it with some ginger beer, because what the hell, it's 2020. Muddle it, shake it, strain it, top it, throw a sprig on it, and drink for breakfast or whatever you do in the morning. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> guys thank you so much thank you laura for being here with us today uh it's been awesome i love my wednesday afternoons and i love this crew if you're not over on the network please join us over there we'll uh we'll get to your your question about about child care and stuff over there tina um look for some some posts by laura some cool uh resources that that she's we put out there before but i think to her point be good to revisit them um it was great to see you all thank you so much for hanging with me thank you thank you the zoom wave (laughs) have a good rest of the week you too guys bye bye thank you Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the corporate bartender. <laughs>